everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I'm your host. Uh, I'm a uh, licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety, and uh, I really appreciate y'all for joining me. So um, for those of you who are new, this is a question and answer based podcast. So you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can go to the submit a question link and you can send in your questions about OCD and anxiety. And that includes all manner of anxiety. So it can be generalized anxiety, it can be fear of snakes and spiders or dogs or for that matter heights. Um, it can be anything related to anxiety or just Stuff. Just maybe it's your loved ones have OCD and you're having trouble dealing with them and how to manage and how to manage either your own life and anxieties with them. So you can go over there, ask the question. I will consider it, think about it, and likely put it up on a future episode just like this one. So um, also, everybody, um, go check me out over at uh, the Instagram. I am Fearcast Podcast over there. I will from time to time put up some um, maybe some helpful things, maybe some silly things, usually some announcements for uh, the current episode coming out. And everybody, to that point, if you like the show, if you like the Fearcast, uh, if you could like and or subscribe to it and or, and this would be the best, in addition to, you know, uh, giving a, a rating, uh, write a review about it. So wherever you happen to get to your podcasts, um, write a review, give a little rating up there. And um, uh, that, that ultimately just helps other people to find the podcast uh, and uh, as you have found it and hopefully uh, just get more information out there so um and everybody if you can this would be uh, just preferable if you can do a five-star review that would be delightful uh that would uh, th- that would just be best obviously for the podcast um I, and i heard this quote uh this is actually a quote from dave matthews um of the dave matthews band fame not that not that that matters uh i heard him say this that uh he said about his music i'll say about it, the show Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't like the show, if you don't like it, uh, the information that's in it, content, me, my dumb voice, uh, I I can't even tell you how sorry I am for that, for how terrible, terrible, terrible it is. But if you do like it, you're right. So, anyways, I just thought that was hilarious. Um, Also, everybody, I'll say this. If I sound extra congested today, if I sound extra snorky or just like a sick, I'm I'm, kind of feeling a little funky. And that's because children are disease bags. Now, I love my disease bags. They're they're wonderful. However, they are disease bags. Um, They just get everybody else's illness. They bring it home. They cough all over the house, all over everything. They take all the things, they put it in their mouths. Uh, it's, uh, they, they get snot. It's coming out of their mouth and they rub it down. They rub it down towards their mouth. They rub it up towards their eyeballs and it's, then it's on their hands. They touch everything with those hands. They touch the remote controls with their hands. And then they put everything else in their mouth. So everything that they touch, it goes right in their mouth. So if my beautiful disease bag comes home with a disease as they are wont to do um i eventually get it and then i get snorky and then i feel weird and then i have to deal with this um now don't get me wrong again i love my disease bag she's adorable my littler disease bag he's adorable but i'll tell you once one brings it in the other's gonna get it and then we all have it we all feel the snork and it's kind of the back of your throat it's that that feeling where you wake up and you swallow 
I know it just feels feels like someone's stabbing the back of your throat up into your sinuses area, and it just and then your lungs get congested. It's it's a whole thing that we're having to deal with. It was so sad. My older disease bag was feeling sick, so I was dealing with her on Monday, and then Tuesday I'm at work. The missus is done with the kids. We do a swaparoo for Monday and Tuesday, and then I come home, and then I the first thing I see when I when I walk in the door, I see my littler disease bag, the boy, and he's just he just looks at me with those sad sick little boy eyes he doesn't need to say anything but his eyeballs say i feel gross that the oldest disease bag did this to me it's the saddest little boy face but it's adorable but then he started to cough and everything oh and the the older disease bag does this so that the raspberry thing right but they like when you hold them and you're having a conversation with them they do right to your face straight to your face and i'm trying to say hey honey we don't do that that's really rude and you're not feeling very well we don't want to keep we don't want to spread germs we want to keep to ourselves so the solution is do it straight up in the air but then trail it downward so she starts up and then it just comes straight down towards my face so there's no escaping it so if I sound this way, it's because this is how I feel. But you know what, everybody? We're going to get through this episode. We're going to try. Again, I'm going to try to do these weekly. We're going to see how these things go. So I'm going to do two questions from listeners this week. The questions themselves are a little bit longer than average, but uh, I'll read through them quickly, and then we'll get to some of these answers. Both of them are going to be HOCD-related. One of them has a little ROCD twist to it. So buckle up, everybody, if you have HOCD or know someone who has HOCD. And by the way, I'm using the term HOCD because they used it. If they used the term SOOCD, short term for sexual orientation OCD, I'd be using that. Uh, it is ultimately going to be the same thing. It is obsessions about one's sexuality. So HOCD is the older term. You've heard me give, me, give this a, a disclaimer before. I'm doing this so that I don't get emails from people telling me that I'm using the wrong term and that I'm being insensitive. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. But I'm sorry. Anyways, moving on. Here are the questions. Sam says, Hi there. I live in Melbourne, Australia, and I believe I've been suffering from ROCD and HOCD. I've been with my boyfriend for almost three years, and during lockdown, it really peaked. I had the internal thought, do I love him? And from then on, it's been really hard for me to let go of any thoughts that involve him or related to him. I have the thought like, what if I just, what if I just love him as a friend? What if our relationship needs to end? It is constant thoughts like these that never escape my mind, and it feels as if they are making me fall out of love with my boyfriend. And I really don't want to be falling out of love with him. I used to be so happy about the idea of marrying him and starting a family, and I do, but it's almost like my mind can't fully be open to the idea anymore, and I don't know what it is, or don't know why this is. There's constant doubt in my mind. For a few months, I wouldn't be able to sleep. It would be on my mind 24-7, and now it's gotten better, but it's still there, and I don't know how to get rid of it. 
I also am having the thought, maybe I'm not attracted to him anymore because I'm a lesbian. Uh, this thought caused me to start thinking about my sexuality, which in fact, I know I'm straight, but my mind tries to convince me otherwise, and I don't know why this is. Sex feels like a chore now, and I don't do it as often because I don't want to get these thoughts, and I avoid guys at work because I don't want to start analyzing their attractiveness, and if I have feelings for them, which I know this is stupid. I don't know if this has anything to do with my childhood. Looking back, seeing it was pretty horrible because my parents fought a lot. and There was a lot of yelling and physical abuse and constant breaking up. I just want, I just want to start feeling love feelings again. I want to be happy. I don't want to be like this. So, Sam, um, I'm so sorry that you're having to struggle through all of that. It's so so frustrating. I also say that um, you know OCD's main tool is doubt. It's raising doubt and questions where there shouldn't be, um, and, and with the things that we care about the most. So as you know, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that the goal of therapy is ultimately to accept uncertainty where we can and where we have to, because there's so much stuff that we just simply don't know that we can't know. But that's also the point. Your brain is always going to look into questions and wondering and, and looking for potential ways that we could get hurt or other people could, could, get, could get hurt. It's looking for all that stuff. So it's trying to avoid those things. Now, oftentimes the core fear with obsessions like this is, well, what if I'm with the wrong person? And so here, it's not only just you're with the wrong boyfriend, but it's that you're, 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 you're wrong or you're with the wrong person and it's the entire male species that you're with. So I'll just jump to, jump to the end here and just say, well, well, what are you afraid of in being wrong? What uncertainty are you facing by, saying, by staying with him because you say you love him? What uncertainty are you having to face if you break up with him? So there's some area of loss or something that you're worried about Sometimes that's going to be maybe that you're never going to be happy again. Maybe you're never going. Maybe you're never going to be happy in the first place. Maybe you're going to live this sad, terrible, horrible life in the long run, and that will be something to certainly look into. But I want to talk to you about just a few other things before we jump into some other things that you can do about that. I'll also say so. First off. Man, the pandemic has sucked for everybody. And lockdown for a lot of people has become this really, really pressuring thing. It's kind of forced people to just kind of sit and stare at each other. And when we don't have a whole lot to do, we can go inside and we start to ruminate and think. And it's, it's, it's uh, uh, open season then for our brain just to start analyzing and questioning and looking at stuff. Um, and I'll say the same for myself. I mean, it's been tough being being in lockdown. Uh, you know, when America was at you know at the peak of its lockdown, it was tough because it just forces our brain just to start thinking about things, and we we don't really have the opportunity to go develop new experiences with our partner. Um, and this can kind of result in this just general feeling of stagnation, general feeling of we're not really creating new experiences and new memories, and that can contribute back to this. Now, this is ultimately not saying that's the solution to it. But it's always helpful to start thinking about, it's not always helpful, it is sometimes helpful to start thinking about ways, you know, when we're starting to feel this way, well, what are the ways that we are improving or working to improve the relationship that we're in? How are we investing in our own relationship? Now, that's, again, a topic for something else, but it's something to think about. 
The first thing that I want you to do is to remember to treat these thoughts as thoughts. They're options, right? And they're intrusions. And, the, and we can treat them as these intrusions without compulsion, without attention. What I'm seeing here is this rumination about the relationship and whether or not you love him, right? And how much you love him. Um, but that rumination is, is man, that's going to start to just put a lot of pressure on you. And, and the more that we start to analyze things, the more that we start to pick things apart, the more that we start to raise those further questions in the analysis. This then doesn't mean that we just never have a thoughtful mind about things. But when we start to really just piece things apart and really start to be scrupulous, as it were, about things, we find things that we're not going to like. We find things that are annoying and frustrating. But but what we want to try to do is to catch ourselves when we're going into this rumination and to recognize that the rumination that you are doing has been unhelpful. Now, I'll say this. It's not the intrusive part that's the problem. It is your active participation with that rumination and how much time you are spending in it that is going to be part of the problem. If there are things, in, my, my kind of rule of thumb within um, our OCD is that, man, if there are things that we just... Um, uh, if we have problems within a relationship, we can usually identify them relatively easily, and we usually can then move to action with it. We can identify this thing as funky. Well, how do I address that? I need to bring it up with them. I need to acknowledge this. But if there are these vague feelings, this kind of ambiguous thing, that might be a sign that this is um, uh, uh, ROCD at play. And ultimately, though, with those thoughts that you're having, the f one thing that you can do is just as you accept them as thoughts, you can when they come in, you can just acknowledge them as, you know, I, I'm, I might be with the wrong person. Maybe. And say, oh, I've noticed, I'm noticing there's that thought. Thanks, brain. This is kind of from an act approach of just noticing and acknowledging the stuff that's going through our mind. Another thing that some people will, will acknowledge doing or, or encourage people to do is just to say like, yep, there's that thought again. Like, you've had this thought a billion times before, so why is this one any different? Yep, there it is again, to no surprise. To no surprise, that thought is showing up, and if I get that tug, I get that pull, and I get this weight in me that feels like my life is over. Yep, there it is. And we can accept it as just present. Not as a fact, but as this kind of experience that we have, this emotional sensory uh, uh, thought, mental image. It's this experience that we're having. So, um, if, again, treating these as thoughts can just be, be really helpful as, as we're progressively starting to distance from the content of the thought. Now, to the HOCD component of this, man, I'll tell you, this is a really common obsession, uh, obsession combination, uh, ROCD and HOCD, because they, they, they often lead to one another and they are substantiated by the other right? Uh, one thing that I was struck by what you said is, you said, I know for a fact I'm straight. So, if you're saying that with this level of confidence, I'll say, okay, great. But then your brain is going to convince you otherwise. It's just going to try to bring in... Now, I've talked about this as the underminer, right? Whenever we say one thing, our brains oftentimes will just bring in the complete opposite, right? It's that devil's advocate component of things. Um, it's, you know, if you say, oh, I love pizza, your brain goes, yeah, but you also like shrimp. As if those, things, those two things can't exist at the same time, right? So, if you're right, I know I'm straight, which I wonder is if that is a compulsive statement, right? I know I'm straight. Your brain is trying to convince you that you aren't straight as a way of justifying the presence 
of the obsession. Kind of seemingly the intrusive thought and the intrusive thought about uh, about women and the idea of your heterosexuality cannot exist simultaneously. So something's got to give. Now, I'm just kind of talking aloud here. Well, I suppose you always talk aloud. I'm thinking aloud here. That might be something to process. But ultimately, it comes down to, again, accepting these as the uncertainties. Um, before I get into, as well, uh, other things to do, in terms of, you mentioned this worry about your childhood. That's something that I would encourage you to talk about with a therapist. If you are working with a therapist, I'm not, so I'm not going to get into that here. So I just, what I'm saying is, I don't know if there are any, any overlapping themes that are going on within your relationship and your and the relationship that you saw with your parents. Sometimes there can be similar triggers or similar um, sort of I, I, I kind of dynamics that can can uh, kind of trigger some some things within us and then we can find ourselves reenacting some relationship dynamics uh, from from our early childhood from our earlier experiences. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going on. I have no idea how much your childhood does or does not play a role with this, but that may be something to look at with a therapist, at the very least addressing it. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, everybody. If you've listened to previous episodes where where people have acknowledged or talked about how, um, uh, talked about how you know, their their therapist wants to talk about their childhood. Isn't that terrible? And shouldn't we just be focusing on the present? And perhaps I have talked about that as something you ought to do. Sometimes there are commonalities, and sometimes there are things that we previously experienced that is going to influence, contribute to, and 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 influ- and lead into our obsessions. Sometimes, not always, not never. Sometimes. At the very least, it's worth talking to a therapist about. So, one thing that you ought to do, though, and you already are aware of this, is being aware of the compulsions that you're doing. The compulsions are going to be influencing or going to be reinforcing this whole cycle. So, you talked about this avoidance component. The two things you said. Number one, you said you're avoiding guys at work for uh, for fear of having these kind of attractive thoughts about them. Uh, you also said oh, you're avoiding having sex with your boyfriend just to avoid the presence of these thoughts. Well, two of those things, I mean, both of those things, I would say, well, I want you to go do those things. But in terms of guys at work, this the, the avoidances are great ways to start pointing out these are where your exposures ought to be. Now, it's to say, talking to guys at work you are likely to have thoughts about them. One, because you've avoided them for so long. You've said, okay, I can never have these thoughts about these guys. Well, you're going to, but I want you to have them. I want you to have them to get used to the fact that they're sometimes there, and they're also sometimes not. But if you're avoiding guys at work, then you never get the opportunity to see that sometimes you have them and sometimes you don't have them, that they float in and out. That that's okay. And that talking to guys isn't the problem. It is the resistance to this thought that's the problem. It's the resistance to the experience, the unwanted experience. That's the problem. So we need to get used to, in fact, having these thoughts and not treating those thoughts as if that they are fact, as if that they are dangerous, and as if that they are something that you ultimately cannot do, you cannot have. They are thoughts that you can have. They are feelings that are tolerable. And Okay, they'll float in and they might suck for a little bit. They might be uncomfortable and then they'll go away. So a couple things to do. All right, one, scripting. 
obviously scripting. You knew I was going to say that, but scripting this, this exact story that you're maybe that you're going to stay with him. You could write a lot of different kinds of stories, but one thing that's coming to mind is scripting that you're going to stay with him and you're going to live your life with the constant thought, with the constant doubt feeling that you're never really connected to him, never feeling quite right within your own life, within relationships with this person. And it's, it's, it's just always this constant hum. And you're going to feel that feeling until you ultimately die, never fully knowing who it is that you are or what direction you should have had. Now, if that feels uncomfortable, great. That should be your story. And then we read and reread and reread that one until that story becomes boring, until we can have that thought in the moment and let that thought be present without fighting against it. It's facing your fear. That's what we're doing, right? I don't want you to have a terrible, horrible life, but I also don't know if you're going to have a terrible, horrible life. I don't know if I will. All I know is what I'm doing today. And I don't even know what I'm doing the rest of my day. All I know is I'm sitting here in front of my microphone talking to y'all people. That's what I know is happening presently. I don't know if I'm going to discover that I'm with the wrong person. I don't know. And I'm taking that risk because I'm going to continue to go home and see what happens. See if this is the, the terrible, horrible relationship and that I should have been with this other person. No idea. Maybe my wife will discover this. It's possible. I'm a big weirdo. She could do better. That's a separate conversation. That's just a joke that is not meant to lead into any other obsessions. Anyways, moving on. The other thing that I want you to do is, is embrace and face those feared thoughts. You talked about avoiding guys. And I bet you're avoiding girls too. I want you to walk around town. And I want you to, when you see guys intentionally in your mind, just go, yeah, I should be with that person. I should be with that guy. Yeah, I should be with that girl. And then sit with that feeling. Maybe even say, you know, I'd probably be better off with them than with your boyfriend. And sit with your feeling. This is in no way to convince yourself that this is a fact or convince yourself that you would be a better fit for that person and vice versa. But it's bringing up the feelings that you get when you say those phrases, when you think about those ideas. And we just have the presence or have them in our present moment. It's kind of like when you lift something heavy, you feel what that feels like. If you turn your attention towards your breathing, you feel what that is like. When you jump into a hot tub, you feel what that is like. I want you to feel what this is like when you have that thought. And you're showing yourself that that feeling can be had and that thought can be had without compulsive actions, without avoidance, without giving yourself reassurance, that it can just be there, and it sucks, and then it goes away, and then we get on with our life, and then sometimes it's just going to be triggered, and then it's eventually going to go away when we let it. So, I, I hope this has been helpful, Sam. So, um, it might have been a little all over the place. I apologize. My notes for this were a little all over the place, too. So, Best of luck, though. Give those a try. If you have questions about those things, you can certainly talk about them with your therapist. And if some of these things worked or some things had changed, shoot us an email and let us know how it goes. So, Sam, Sam thanks so much. All right. So, this next question comes from Jeannie. 
Jeannie says, hello. So although I feel like my OCD has gotten better, I do get triggered sometimes and go back to rethinking the past instances uh, that have made me question my sexuality. Like when I was in middle school, there would be like t- there would be like the two times where I felt this urge to kiss some of my friends of the same gen- gender, um, and other times when I would feel intimate towards them. Not exactly sexually, but like cozily. Uh, one instance was a sleepover, and the other were Christmas lights. Um, does this mean anything? My thoughts are that maybe since I've never had a boyfriend or any intimate relationships with a, with a guy, my body, my body and hormones were looking for an outlet for affection, question mark? But I always worry that, I, that by thinking this, I'm trying to convince myself uh, out or trying to convince myself out of accepting the possibility of being bisexual. Also, another time when I was in a spa, a lady's bathing suit came off, uh, and she asked me to retie it, and I stuttered. Um, she then proceeded to mention that she had a boyfriend, um, but uh, but being uncomfortable with nudity does not mean that I'm necessarily gay or attracted to the same gender, right? Finally, there are also times when my eyes land on female body parts. I don't mean to do this, but they, they, they land there sometimes, and sometimes I feel really awkward, and it triggers me. My general thoughts about my sexuality now is that I believe I'm mostly straight because I've only had crushes on the opposite sex for now and think that having hypothetical, excuse me, think about having hypothetical sex with a guy would please me more than having it with a girl. They say parenthetically, I, I know you said creating hypothetical scenarios is not ideal for HOCD, but it's, it's an example. They go on to say, I'm aware that the possibility could change in the future, but I'm still struggling with accepting the possibility of being somewhat gay. Please let me know your thoughts and advice. Thank you. All right, so Jeannie, thank you so much for this question. So first off, um, I have no idea what that Christmas lights component has to do with anything. I read that part and I had a lot more questions. Um, Thus far, I just think I'm learning that um, you're a sucker for the romantic glow of Christmas lights. So... There is that. Now, by the way, to that interaction, and and, and I'm going to tackle. I'm going to talk about these three interactions in in, uh, in in order, and then talk about some other silliness near the end here. So I appreciate your patience. Um, but to that interaction and the question, does it mean anything? So what it meant in that situation where you hang out with your buddies, there was a sleepover, there were Christmas lights. I don't know if those were two different interactions or if that was the same. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, in those moments, you had a feeling. You felt kind of romantical feelings towards, towards someone in a somewhat romantical moment. Okay. We have lots of feelings. And sometimes our brain just kind of fills in the blanks when it feels or, or experiences some stuff, but doesn't feel other things, it just kind of fills things in. And, uh, and, and, and other times we just, we just feel stuff. I caution everybody to draw broad conclusions based off of these experiences, based off of that one time that weird thing happened. Or this was a weird situation in which I felt something that was way out of the ordinary. It's best. It's 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 unhelpful to then draw these 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 huge conclusions as to who it is that we are, what is it that we're about, because our feelings, as you've heard me say a billion times, are stupid. Our feelings are stupid. 
We feel a lot of things. And not all of them are reasonable. Not all of them are helpful. Not all of them reflect that which we truly believe or want in our life or for our lives. But they are feelings. So, we can't take them all too seriously. So, in that moment, so what, is it, what does it say about you? It means that you had a feeling. So, how do we accept the reality that you had that feeling in that time? It was, a, it was weird for you. It was meaning it was uncomfortable. It was atypical. All right. Whew, there it is. Now we have to find a way to move on. Moving on to the spa example, I'll tell you what. If I was in a spa, me speaking as Kevin, if I was in a spa with someone and their top came off, I'll tell you, I'd probably stutter too. I don't know what that stutter would imply or mean or signify or or trigger, but you know what? Yeah, that would be surprising to say the least, wouldn't it? So, notice though that for you, it went back to this old song and dance, this old obsession and compulsion. (gasps) Oh no, I stuttered. Well, that was atypical. Well, does that mean that I'm gay? What if it does mean that I'm gay? You see where I'm going with this, perhaps. It's that you had an experience that was atypical, that was unexpected. Someone's top came off. That might have been surprising. That might have been frightening. That might have been off-putting. Certainly unexpected, right? Typically, when you're hanging out with someone you you don't know, their tops usually stay on. At least that's been my experience. Um, And if their tops all of a sudden started coming off, I would be thrown off a little bit. So, when we experience these unexpected things, our brain starts to fill in the blank, starts to try to answer, try to put this situation and our responses and our things that we see and feel to context. It tries to provide context, and sometimes that context is wrong. So, what can we do? Well, you can accept that, like the previous example, gosh, you had a feeling. Gosh, what a weird feeling, huh? What an interesting feeling. What an odd feeling. What a weird experience. Maybe what a fun experience. Maybe what an off-putting experience it was. But it was an experience. And that we leave it at that. The questioning is going to be the problem. The rumination about what it meant is going to be the problem. So we need to hold back on that further questioning. Lastly, to your example about eyes landing on body parts. Now, first off, this isn't exactly the point, or this isn't exactly maybe what's going on, but there's something called visual teretic OCD. Now, I have been trying to get Jonathan Grayson on, the great and powerful Jonathan Grayson on, to talk about visual teretic OCD, or abbreviated as VTO. Um, now, I'd love to have him on. And first off, VTO is um, it's, it's kind of staring, staring convulsions staring obsessions. Um, you hear about it a lot. Um, some people do experience this this thing where they feel like they have to stare at something or they can't look away from something. Um, and, it, and it can make it can make for a lot of uncomfortable feelings, a lot of fear about what staring does or does not mean. I would love to have him come on and talk about it if he will return my emails. So if somebody out there is uh, in contact with Jonathan Grayson, Tell him that I said that. Uh, and Jonathan Grayson, if you're listening to this, I bet you're not. But if you're listening to this, shoot me an email, man. I'd love to have you on. So uh, that would be something to have on. So um, as far as eyes landing on body parts, long story short, it's awkward. We acknowledge it and we shift away. That's what we do. It land, your, your eyes will land on body parts. Uh, 
Now, are you doing that compulsively or are you doing that accidentally? You acknowledge that it's accidentally, but you know you. Is it on purpose or not? If it's not, okay. They land on body parts and then we move on and we just make space for that feeling, but we don't give it more meaning than we fear it already has. Back away from that feeling and we move on. So, as lastly, well, not lastly, I have a little bit more to say, obviously. So, as far as your hypothetical, now I may go back on this in future weeks or even future moments, but I'll say to your hypothetical, overall, you know what? I'm kind of fine with it. If that hypothetical that you've put together for yourself helps you to accept the uncertainty about the situation and the thoughts and the feelings, to resist compulsive rumination and checking about what your feelings do or don't mean, about how you would or would not react in those situations again, or what those situations will mean in the future. And then it helps you to move on with your relationships and life as you generally intend, then great. Great. If it helps you to get back to your life, great. But you also must uh, hold yourself to that uncertainty. And you cannot then engage with those reassurances. But you have to then sit with the yes and maybe. And then maybe one day it'll switch. As you said, maybe it's going to switch one day. Yes, maybe it will. But for today, it hasn't, perhaps. So, great. I'm going to stick with that uncertainty, and I'm not going to then further engage with it. I'm going to redirect my attention back towards the present moment and the situations in life and relationships and responsibilities that I currently have here. And that's what you're trying to do. Now, I'll say this. The last bit, and perhaps this is the most important part that I should have led with, my main question about your fear then, you said, I'm still struggling with accepting the possibility of being somewhat gay. So, what's entangled up with this idea of being somewhat gay, or even just gay? What does that mean for you? What does it stop, or what does it stop you from doing or having if you were? What will you have to do or not do if you were? The thought, uh, sometimes the thoughts can be, if this is true, then blank might happen. Or if this is true, then blank might also be true. So, this is the thought that you're going to need to lean into and face while accepting its uncertainty. So, you need to think about then what, what are the components that you're struggling with and against within that idea of, like, what does it mean if you are, what, what are the, um, you, you, what are the things that you have to accept and not struggle with, with the possibility of being somewhat gay? So if you were somewhat gay, what would be true? What would happen to you? So which components are you then having to struggle with and against? If you accepted that maybe you were possibly somewhat gay, well, if it were this, that it meant that it meant that in terms of accepting it, that sometimes you'll see a guy, you'll think he's attractive. You'll have fun, sexy thoughts about him for the day. It'll kind of be somewhat fun, kind of uplifting. But you'll continue on, continue on with your day, essentially as a straight person. Then great. Now, say great in terms of if that's what you're ultimately wanting and feeling more accurate to you and more reflective of who it is that you are. But... 
I don't think that's the problem. I don't think that's what you're pushing against. Because if that's what meant to be, quote, somewhat gay, and I'm being kind of eye-rolly in all of this as well, everybody, with the idea of being somewhat gay. Well, you know, what, what, again, what does, that, what does that mean? What's scary about that idea for you? I mean, at its, at its base, if you're saying, well, I would like to have a heterosexual life and have heterosexual relationships, but, well, I don't want to accept the possibility I'm somewhat gay. Well, if you're somewhat gay, but you wanted to ultimately pursue heterosexu- a heterosexual life, then you accept these thoughts that are there. But again, if you just had the thoughts, they were like, well, those are kind of fun, intrusive thoughts. Boy, I'm somewhat gay, so I've got these thoughts from time to time. Okay, great. But again, I don't think that's what you're fighting against. I think there's a, ter- a terrifying fear that's involved with this, a pain that you're going to have to experience. And that's what you're going to have to sit with, with the uncertainty of that. And perhaps through scripting that can be addressed, perhaps through challenging the legitimacy of some of those thoughts, that can be helpful. But ultimately, be aware of what compulsions you are doing, both mental and physical, and be resisting those as much as you possibly can, redirecting your life back to what it is that you intend to, what is it that you are uh, uh, hoping to do, what is it that you have to do in that moment. So these are going to be some things to talk about with your therapist at some point or to unpack with uh, a therapist. But um, hopefully some of this gives you another way to think about this and some ways to challenge this and hopefully some ways to just simply accept your experiences. You had feelings and thoughts and sensations. Great. We all do. And then what are they, what is it that you're going to have to accept as the uncertainty component? So, um, uh, Jeannie, thank you so much for that question. All right, everybody, you made it. You made it through episode 80. Could you imagine, everybody? Well, thank you also uh, again for making it through this episode. Um, gosh, you know what? I intended to make these episodes shorter, and they turns out to be exactly the same length. So either I need to talk less, or I need to pick fewer questions and just talk about one question in Yammeron for longer about them. I may do that in future episodes. So um, I appreciate everybody's patience with me. I appreciate everybody's questions. And again, I really do appreciate all of you trusting me with your questions. I know they can be very sensitive. I know it's very vulnerable to share this with the world as it were and uh, I, I don't take that lightly thank you so much for trusting me with that and I hope that I've been careful and and caring in my responses to them as much as I try to make jokes and be silly about them I hope I've been answering them as as uh, uh, helpfully and cautiously as I can so um, everybody uh, if uh, please remember Above all, the FearCast is just for education purposes, to give you stuff to think about. Um, it is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, and you can go to the Find Help link, and you can find more help and more information there. Uh, if you would like me to answer a question, if you have follow-ups to some of these questions, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message over there. Um, also, everybody, if you want to um, send in your audio clip, you can send in your voice. Go, uh, You can record it on your voice memo app you can record it uh, pretty much anywhere and send it into questions at fearcastpodcast.com and i will put it up on a future episode so all right everybody until next time take a risk challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously bye